Hello and welcome. I'm Sean. And I'm Kat. And this is another episode of Been There, Seen That. This is our fifth episode on the road to the Oscars, and today we'll be discussing the film The Power of the Dog. What was your initial thoughts right after this film? I I love this film. <laughs> but what did you think of it, like, initially just right coming off of it? My first watch coming off of it, I wasn't 100% sure on what had happened. I was about 90% sure on what had happened. And mm-hmm. then um, with a very quick Google search while the credits were rolling, I was very uh, quickly able to confirm that okay. this was indeed not the film that I thought it was. Right. Okay, so we're going to get right into it here. So I'm going to give you your spoiler warning right now. This episode does contain spoilers. So if you have not seen the film, and I beg you to see the film before you listen to this episode, (laughs) because it will ruin it. Please watch that before giving us a listen. But yeah, I mentioned to you prior to recording today that I just realized what happened at the end of the film. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely uh, had to let that marinate a bit. Uh, Yeah, I... Okay, context, I watched the film probably like three days ago, so it's been a while. Like, <laughs> It took yeah. me a little bit to get into, you know, what happened here. But yeah, I, I love this film, and I think their slow burn is so beautifully crafted, and they do such a good job at that, and slow burns aren't something that I typically enjoy. I think that with this movie specifically, you don't really get the vibe of what kind of movie it's supposed to be. It has the essence and feel of a thriller at times. It has the feel of a Western at times. It has the feel Mm -hmm. of a romance at times. It's very fluid. It has a lot of different feelings and emotions through all these different characters. And they all go through different phases of these emotions almost. Yeah. And to be completely honest with you, I'm not a fan of Westerns at all. I never have been. I had to watch a lot of them when I was like in school and doing film classes and whatnot. But this is one of those films that I kind of put off watching because I didn't think I was going to like it. And I thought I was going to be kind of a dreadful thing to sit through just because I don't enjoy the genre of the Western. But yeah, the, the something about the underlying sinister nature of something going on, but you don't know what it is. I don't know how they crafted that so perfectly, but you're just like on edge the entirety of the film. It's not even the crafting. It's Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. Oh my god, he is absolutely fantastic. I was talking to one of my friends who was talking about the power of the dog and had just seen the preview. And he said, I was watching the preview. And I know this is going to be a good film because I was watching the preview. And I was like, wait a second, that looks like Doctor Strange. (laughs) He didn't recognize him because he was like, he's that good in this film. Because he's like, wow, he can act. Yeah. Like, compared to Doctor Strange, this is such a Such character. a different role. It's yeah. such a character. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, we talked about acting styles a little bit when we were talking about Nightmare Alley and the difference between Tony Collette and Willem Dafoe, but I think Benedict Cumberbatch definitely pulls on that. He always has this um, air about him that's, I don't know if narcissistic is the right word, but it's, he holds himself very, like, high and mighty and above everyone, and I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. He kind of looked down. He has a confident essence to him. Yeah, yeah, it's like overconfidence, but he, it's like he's smart and he knows he's smart. I think one of the things that I really enjoy about the cast in this movie was that all of the actors are just in roles that I've never seen them in before. 
And with Benedict Cumberbatch is also Kirsten Dunst, who a lot of people are only really familiar with her from Bring It On or the Spider-Man trilogy. If they aren't super into movies, those are like her big, big mainstream movies. Right. And seeing her in a role like this all these years later, she's just so evolved almost. Absolutely. And I'd like to redeem myself here because I did mispronounce her name on a couple episodes ago. (laughs) I do know her name is Kirsten. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we've seen her in a few period pieces before, but nothing like this. This role is like so dark for her. And I feel like a lot of the characters she's played in the past have been very polished. And I feel like her and Benedict Cumberbatch kind of almost counterbalance each other they play off of each other so well and i feel like if it wasn't for his performance and the sinisterness that he brings to the atmosphere of this movie that she wouldn't be able to play the character that she's playing exactly i think they bounce off each other so well and i mean the two of them were so into it on set that they didn't even talk to each other like during filming they like weren't talking to each other because they were just so into it and i almost can see like even if you're not a method actor I'm not positive that either of them are. I'm not. I think Cumberbatch might be, but I don't think Kirsten Dunst is. But I can see how that tension could get so overwhelming that you don't even want to be in the same space as that person. And I think oh, they yeah. just they they made that tension so prominent and so big. It's, it's happened before where it like overflows into realism. And it's like, oh, this is happening in real life. And you have to like, as the actor, separate yourself. But I think it really lended a hand to them like not speaking to each other on set. I thought that was really interesting. So let's talk about the plot a little bit. We have two rancher brothers played by Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. Yes. And their names are George and Phil. Phil is Benedict and George is Jesse. And so they own this ranch. They're very wealthy ranchers. And the movie opens with them basically making a cattle run. And they stop at this inn where this innkeeper and her son, played by Kirsten Dunst and Cody Smith McPhee, are operating. And there's a very tense scene between Phil and Peter because Phil is just such a complex character. I really want to mm-hmm. talk about Phil for a second. He or we will. <laughs> We will, yeah. He just brings this essence in Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. He brings this essence to the film where anytime he's on camera, you don't know if you can trust him. You don't know if he's about to snap at someone or if he's just actually being a genuinely good person. You never know. He does a really good job at keeping his character close and like really shut off. So you know that he's really complex, but there's things that he was holding back. And I think by the end of the film, we still don't get a full picture of who this character is. And that's intentional. I'd agree with that. And I think that it makes part of the actual twist of the film more believable. It makes the fact that it happened easy to understand and why it was able to happen. I think that there's aspects of the character that we just aren't introduced to right away. So further down the plot, while they're at this inn, Cody Smith McPhee's character, Peter, is going to school to be a doctor and he has a lisp and Phil makes fun of him for it and mocks him. And they're just awful to Rose and Peter. And once they leave, George realizes that they've left Rose and Peter in tears and he feels awful and Mm kind of goes to comfort her. And it opens this subplot for romance between Rose and George. And Phil doesn't believe them at first. I mean, Phil thinks that Rose is just after him for his money and and whatnot. And I think George is this really genuine and kind character. I mean, I remember writing in my notes like this is giving me of Mice and Men vibes because they're just meant to be foils of each other. One of them's like supposed to be sweet and like and then the other is very like brooding and serious um 
but you do get that that foil that contrast of the two characters and i think they do a really good job at that so once they begin this romance they right away just get married and george tells phil at first he doesn't believe her to be true in her love and she just thinks that she's in it for the money and he lashes out and kind of just goes after her psychologically and he tries to just make her feel at an unease and make her feel unwelcome and so peter's off at medical school and she's alone and George can't really do anything because Phil is just this big hunking cowboy that exactly. is super intimidating. Right. And Cumberbatch said about that character, he said he feels that the world is against him and he hates on it before it can hate on him. And the reason he does that is because he sees George creating this relationship with Rose and it almost sparks this jealousy in him because as we see later in the film, he was kind of denied this romance, this relationship, and he he's not able to have that in his life. So seeing the only person he has a semi-relationship with and being bitter towards the world in that way, he almost tries to break it apart. Well, and that's why it makes his character arc or the one that you hope he's going through later in the film a bit more believable because you want to believe that he wants to find love and that that's why he's so just uptight. But once their romance kicks off, he just becomes this giant hostile person that Rose grows to fear and she's just so intimidated by him that it pushes her to become an alcoholic that's displayed throughout the film later. Yeah, and that was actually Dunst's idea to like explicitly show that moment where she turns to alcohol. That was her idea to include that in the film, which I think explicitly showing that moment was really important because we we see that immediate change in her and we see exactly where it's coming from and why she's doing this. And it because it is, you know, it is because of Phil and she feels alone and she feels scared. And one of the things I like about that very first moment where you see that that's the path that she's chosen is that it's at the very end of a chapter. This film is broken up into chapters yeah. and once something very important to the plot or the characters happens, it has a Roman numeral. So it displays as if almost you're reading a book or just these volumes of a story. And so once she takes that sip, that's the end of a chapter. And then it flashes forward to the next chapter, which is a few months later when Peter comes home from medical school and you see her just completely broken down from when we last saw her. She's slurring her words and shaky hands and Peter notices right away. Yeah, and you see that like really changes something in him and he sees himself as his mom's protector, even though I feel like in one sense, he's just as intimidated by Phil, but he does have this like hidden strength behind them that we obviously see later in the film come out. But he has this, I, I want to say it's like a cunning and smart way about him. He's not, he doesn't have strength in the way of a Gryffindor. He has strength in the way of a Slytherin. Does that make sense? He's a psychological fighter. Exactly. The entire plot of the film is a psychological plot because of him. He creates this whole twist in the film. Mm -hmm. So once Peter comes home for the summer, you're kind of under the impression that Phil's going to give him a hard time again because this is the first time that Phil and Peter are seeing each other since he last gave him a hard time when they were passing through with all the ranch hands. There's this tension building up, and I remember when... Peter goes over by Phil, it shows Rose and she just looks so terrified and panicked because she thinks that Phil is about to do something awful. Exactly. And I mean, you have that fear for Peter the entire film that something bad is going to happen because he almost seems like he doesn't get it. He almost seems like he's not scared enough, like he's too trusting of Phil. But I think Phil has 
misplaced intention. Maybe that's not the word for what I'm trying to say, but I feel like Phil starts seeing Peter as a younger version of himself that summer. So almost as a sense of resentment, perhaps? Maybe, because he he kind of takes on... Well, let's talk about Bronco Henry real quick. Because he's an important character that's never seen on camera, but he's talked about copiously. (laughs) And you know about him within the first, like, five minutes of the film, too. They're sitting at the dinner table, and he brings up Bronco Henry. You do, and as... Peter and Phil build a relationship, he continues to bring up Bronco Henry more frequently. Exactly. And I think that summer is when you really see that kind of connection between Phil and Peter and then Phil and Bronco Henry. Like he's taking on the role of Bronco Henry and and putting Peter into what he assumes was his younger self. Right. So once Peter returns for the summer, Phil kind of takes him under his wing and teaches him how to be a cowboy, how to be this rough and tough guy of the West and Mm -hmm. kind of turn him into what he was turned into in a way that Bronco Henry groomed him to be the way he is. Exactly. And I, I think Peter has, again, going back to that strength that Peter has. First of all, what do you do you think Phil is right about Peter? What do you mean by that? Do you think Peter is following in the footsteps of Phil and intends to have this sort of same mirrored relationship with him? Or do you think Phil is projecting that onto Peter because that's what he wants? I don't think Peter actually has any genuine interest in becoming a cowboy. Mm -hmm. I think that it was completely a strategic move. I think that the plot twist, while it's not the final goal that he had in mind because it is a rather spontaneous decision if you look at it. I think that he kind of followed Phil more as a defensive move. I think he was scared of what would happen if he didn't just kind of go with it. But I want to finish talking about the plot so we can talk about the twist. So (laughs) once Phil takes Peter under his wing, Peter kind of becomes more adventurous. And one day he's out practicing his horseback riding and he comes across this wounded dying animal and there's flies around it and it's just this nasty animal. Mm -hmm. And it shows him skinning it. And I think that we should also mention earlier in the plot, there is a part where Peter's trying to practice surgery on an animal and he brings a live rabbit home and shows it to his mom and is treating it like a pet and then ended up killing it and is doing surgery on it to kind of just study the anatomy. That was so intentional. Like that is... I mean, when you look at any kind of, obviously this is real life, but like any kind of serial killer stories, they're like the first trait of a killer is when you see them as a kid, like doing weird things to animals, like killing animals, taking them apart, like really interested in that kind of stuff. And Peter almost gets away with it and his mom lets him get away with it because he's, he wants to be a doctor. Yeah. Well, I mean, his defense is that he's doing it to study and She's not going to medical school, so she wouldn't know. Right. But I think that later down the line, that scene with the rabbit kind of makes the twist at the end more believable. It shows you that he's capable of something that is this dark and this deep. But the dead animal is very important here because it's going to come into the twist later. I think that introduces a lot of darkness that's in Peter that, you know, he, he doesn't have a dark demeanor necessarily and his appearance isn't dark and you'd you'd think he's very unassuming very non-threatening but when you get that scene with the rabbit you're like oh maybe maybe there's more to this kid yeah he's definitely one of those kids that uh definitely gives you those creepy vibes 
Okay, so now we're back at the ranch, and there's there's this whole story about the hide, and there, you know, Phil doesn't want to sell the hide, but he hasn't really given any reason that he doesn't want to sell it, but then the Native Americans are trying to buy it, and Rose runs out, and at this point, she's completely tossed. Like, this girl is gone. We have lost Rose as a character. And she goes up, and she's like, no, no, I want to give it to you, I want to give it to you, and they give her these beautiful gloves, and she's obsessed with the gloves, so she goes back to the ranch, and George takes her in, and I think that's the moment where he's like, this is a problem and we need to do something about this but he's really loving and caring towards her he puts her in bed and she she won't get rid of the gloves she's like i have to i have to keep the gloves well because she collapses remember she collapses yeah growing up and so george has to run over and kind of carry her inside but i want to ask do you think that her decision to sell the hide was a drunken just mistake or do you think that was intentional because she wanted to try and get under phil's skin i definitely think it was i don't think it was a mistake I think there was a lot of intention behind what she did. I do think it, if she had been sober, she would not have made that decision. I don't think she would have acted out in that way, most probably because of fear. Um, but I think at this point, it's kind of a all hope is lost. Like she's like, ah, whatever. I hate this guy and I have to act out against him. And I really do think it is just an effort against Phil. At the end of the day, I think that everything that Rose and Peter do is an effort against Phil from yeah. the first scene, from the mistreatment in the first scene. So a little bit about character. Why do you think, and I have my opinions on this, but why do you think George doesn't take them away sooner and keeps them around Phil? I think that George is put in that uncomfortable position of, do I want to upset my wife or my brother? And he kind of chooses neither. If yeah. you notice, he upsets both of them. Right. And I, I think that's a, a good way of putting it. He's really torn in the middle of these two people that he feels strongly about and loves. And I, I know he gets frustrated with his brother, but I think there's an understanding there. I don't think George knows what happened. But I think George saw something break in Phil. And I think he knows that history about him. And he knows that everything he does isn't like ill-intended. It's just the way that he sees the world. And so he hurts the world before the world can hurt him. Right. So once Phil goes back to the ranch, he sees that the hide's been sold and he's furious. And Peter kind of looks panicked because he realizes that Phil's probably about to go kill his mother mm -hmm. and kind of has this moment and you see it in his eyes. And I want you to go back and watch it now that you kind of know what you know. <laughs> but he goes out to the saddlebag that he took out on the ranch the other day and takes out the hide from the animal that he encountered and goes, well, I have hide. It's okay. There's no need to be upset. Oh, and Phil, my God. <laughs> and Phil, who cut his hand earlier while Peter was with him, accepts it and kind of takes it as Peter wanting to it's be a, a cowboy now. Yeah. yeah, it's a peace offering. He wants to be a cowboy now. And so oh Phil- God welcomes it and says that they're going to make him a lasso using that hide. And so it cuts to this montage of them making a lasso. And the first time you watch it, you probably ask yourself, why does it just showcase Benedict Cumberbatch's hands? But there's purpose to it. And that purpose is that there's an open wound on his hand. And as he's washing the hide in the water, it's being contaminated mm -hmm. because it's from the infected animal. Right. And we had all this talk of anthrax at the very beginning of the film. And I'm going to be openly stupid right now. <laughs> I did not. 
I thought anthrax was like a poison. I didn't know it was like a disease. <laughs> um, but so I was like a little confused, but it, I obviously figured it out. You know, we're good now. But yeah, there's all that talk at the very beginning. And it's it's almost excessive and you, you're like, hey, get up the anthrax. But yeah, it, it comes into play in that last scene. And that scene in the barn is so, I keep using the word dark, but there's something so sinister about the vibe that they create and nothing is really happening you're just sitting in this feeling of oh my god what is going on because if you're me and you didn't put two and two together until like three days later it's like so much it's a sexual tension then it is and that's what i thought because i i was talking to you about this before I got very Call Me By Your Name vibes. And there's a scene I want to go back to, which is definitely, and I still stand by that, that is very similar to Call Me By Your Name. But yeah, I I wrote in my notes, I was like, something happened in that barn. Like, I don't know what happened in that, but obviously something did happen. Peter was being a little sneaky, but <laughs> I don't know. And it was like, it was almost like sexual the way that they were moving around each other. But I think, here's my interpretation. I think Peter caught on to what kind of happened in Phil's past. And I think he was manipulating him and using that to his advantage and being like, okay, I can play this character because I can get him close to me through that. So if you haven't put two and two together yet, we'll spell it out for you. Basically, what happened was the hide was contaminated and Phil had a giant open wound on his hand. So when they were washing it in the water... Peter knew that the hide had been contaminated and mm-hmm. this infected Phil and gave him anthrax poisoning. And it was real quick, this this whole infection process. I mean, he was dead within like three days. It happens the night and then the next morning it shows him sick in bed and they kind of just mm-hmm. cart him off to the hospital and he realizes it and he stumbles out of the house and he's like, where's Peter? And you see him grab the lasso because oh, he knows. Oh, that's what... Oh, I get it. Because he knows. He <laughs> understands what happened. Oh, and my God. He says, where's Peter? And it cuts to Peter just standing, looking out the window as the car drives off to the hospital. With the and rope in his hand. With the rope the in his hand. Oh, my God. I See, there are, like, little things. Because, like, in my brain, he just wanted Peter. Like, he wanted Peter to be around him. Because, okay, yeah. we haven't talked about the Bronco Henry thing, but there's there's a lot of, like, homosexual undertones in that. And something definitely, there was a relationship between Bronco Henry and Phil. I read a Reddit thread. <laughs> and I know that may not be the most reliable, but it's a theory that I enjoyed. And the theory was that Phil perhaps had been a victim of sexual violence as a child and made up the story of Bronco Henry growing up. And that was his way of coping. And he kind of channeled his entire life into becoming a cowboy and forgetting this trauma. And it also explains his aggressiveness. Okay, so my interpretation of it, because this film takes place in the mid-1920s, is that Bill had this relationship with Bronco Henry, which kind of like opened up his sexuality. And he explored that with this like, guy who was meant to be his mentor and so they had this like mentor mentee relationship but there was also something underlying that romantically um and that's where i i got those ties with call me by your name it's like you have this older man in this relationship with this younger man and they're kind of like discovering this together because it's at a time where that's not acceptable to be like that and i know we discussed brokeback mountain a little bit but 
Yeah, I, I definitely got that there was this like forbidden relationship between them. And the reason that he's so he has such toxic masculinity and he he's so aggressive in his nature is because he's had to repress that part of him his whole life. And so it it manifests in this like almost rage that he he gets out towards everybody else because he does put that really like he he puts his anger towards Rose because she has a relationship with his brother and he doesn't have that romance in his life. He doesn't have that partnership in his life and he wants that, but he lost that because he had it with Bronco Henry. That's my interpretation. And with that, here's my proof. Let's go back a little bit because there's a scene that we totally skipped that I think is one of the most important scenes of the entire film. And it's when Phil is bathing in the river and he gets caught by Peter. It's the first scene that Peter sees Phil once he comes home from school. Right. And he has this scarf. And the way that he's playing with this scarf, I I wrote in my notes, I was like, why is this sexual with no words and like no physical contact? And that's almost like the peach scene that was in Call Me By Your Name, where he's like, he's like dancing with this scarf. And you see the embroider, the BH, which is, you know, obviously it belonged to Bronco Henry. And he's having this moment. And it's like this odd perspective of it you're like what is he doing but i feel like if you add in that romance and that relationship that like my interpretation had it's just it kind of makes that scene make sense i don't know how do you feel about that i mean i don't think there's anything to make sense of i think it was straight up i think that bronco henry is someone that phil once loved and has this connection with and that's kind of his way of feeling a sexual connection with him still I definitely think that's where he gets that, like, anger and the rage from, is that, like, repression of his identity and who he is. Obviously, it was the 20s, so (laughs) things were very different. (laughs) I mean, he's also a cowboy, so. Exactly. And that's why we were talking about Brokeback Mountain, and I know we both kind of watched that before coming into this again, because it's very similar. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the whole concept of just this character dynamic where you're not really sure if there's a sexual Mm -hmm. tension growing and I think that well, this actually that's different in Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that not in the beginning, but yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I love about this movie is that once Phil got sick and carted off to the hospital, it didn't spend any time showing him sick. It just right away cut to his brother and his sister-in-law shopping for a coffin. Right. And I was like, who's dead? Like, that was my first question was, who's dead? Yeah, it doesn't give you time to process that that plot developed further. Exactly. I kind of like that. I feel like it kind of shows you that Phil may not have been the main character, if that might make sense. He's not the main mastermind. And I think that one of the things that it really does well in the last 10 minutes is tie all those knots up. And it Mm -hmm. shows Rose now developed into this sober woman again because phil's absence has just brought this peace to her life and then it shows peter wearing his gloves and holding the lasso and that's the final shot of the movie and that's kind of your signal that that's really what had just unfolded okay so actually that wasn't the original final shot of the film which i found really interesting the original final shot what this is a quote it was a slow pan across peter's desk in his room which showed a medical book on his desk And then the camera landed on the definition of anthrax in the book. And that was the last shot of the film. And I feel like that's really on the nose, but they chose to go in a different direction because they wanted you to kind of mull over it for a minute and have that ambiguity at the very end. Well, and it also shows Peter going through a Bible 
And it's a flashback to when they first arrived at the ranch, and it's him reading this psalm. And the psalm goes, Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Title drop. There we go. And there's a few conversations about what that means in terms of the film. Comparing the dog to Cumberbatch's character. My darling either referring to the mother, Rose, or Peter. So it's, it's, or both. I mean, it could be both of them. Refer- like the my darling reference. The dog specifically in the power of the dog is that power that Phil held over them. Yeah, I think that in reading that, I would interpret it as a prayer that almost the mother said to the son. And then the son's mm-hmm. solution was killing Phil. Exactly. I think that it was a really beautiful way to tie the whole film together. And I think this this undertone of like a sinister nature just really is so encapturing throughout the whole thing. And it it leaves you on that note too. And that's what I really like about this film is that you don't leave with a sense of like, oh, that's tied up in a nice little bow. And I'm, you know, I had a good watch of this movie. You're still left with the sense of like uneasiness. And it's almost like, what did I just witness? Like, did I see something I wasn't meant to see? I mean, I'd love to know what your original thought was not understanding the twist until three days later. Right, so... <laughs> Like I said, my my initial interpretation was more of a, I thought something happened in the barn. My first interpretation was that something sexual, maybe romantic happened that. I think you hoped that. I, <laughs> I th- well, that's, you know, and I that's why I think that Peter was kind of manipulating Phil in that way, because it, it really does give off that something's going on there. And it's, I feel like you really get, you really can put two and two together in that moment, like that barn scene where they're there, I feel like that was the moment where I realized that something happened between him and Bronco Henry. And it was like more than just a summer. It was it was like a romantic whirlwind that captured his life and just nothing has been the same since. And that's why he's so bitter. And I think it. I saw him pushing that onto Peter. And I, I don't know. I think that's that's where I was in that scene. But and then you thought he just coincidentally it, got sick. No, I, you know, I was confused about that, to be completely honest with you. Okay, okay. Um, But yeah, and I, I thought Peter putting the rope under his bed was something almost sentimental. And I do, I actually still stand by that. I think that's, you know how like killers will keep trophies? That's like a I was a just trope. about to that's say that's kind of his uh, trophy. Exactly. That's his, like, I've done it. I did this thing. And it's almost poetic because Phil, with his own hands, made the tool that would bring about his downfall. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess when it boils down to it, Peter's just a serial killer. I mean, he's... (laughs) I don't think I would trust Peter in medicine, (laughs) to be honest with you. (laughs) So what do you think about this movie as a Best Picture nominee? I think this is a fantastic Best Picture nominee. And I think, you know, first of all, and I didn't know this, I've tried to go into a lot of these films not researching it and just getting like a good idea of the film, Um, not knowing really anything except the basic cast of it. But it is female directed, which I think lends a huge hand to the way that subtext is handled in this film. I think the subtlety that female directors tend to have really worked here. And I think Jane Campion did a really fantastic job adding that into this and and really playing on the subtext but i i think this is a huge contender for best picture and i i definitely can see this winning this would probably be my second contender 
second. Okay. Yeah. Followed yeah. by Coda or uh, behind Coda. Right behind Coda. I would almost tie it with Coda. I'm surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I was also surprised. I, I really enjoyed this film a lot more than I anticipated. Do you think that this movie would have had box office success? I mean, I know it's in theaters limited, but it was mainstreamed on Netflix. Do you think that right. it would have had a better box office success had it been in theaters exclusively? I don't think so. I think this film did really well on Netflix. And I wouldn't say, I know we talked about this, but I wouldn't say that this necessarily comes off as a streaming film. I just don't know if this is the kind of film that's popular today that people will go to the movies to see. Just because, I don't know, maybe it's a me thing, but I don't like Westerns and I don't think they're super popular and they don't tend to do very well. I think anytime that you have a Western, it's either going to be a hit or a miss. I mean, I remember seeing the Jeff Bridges True Grit remake in theaters, and I remember it being relatively busy. I don't Mm -hmm. think it was like a sold out house by any means, but I mean, there were definitely people there. It wasn't an empty auditorium. So I think with Westerns, you definitely have your select crowd that will turn up for them. But I think that it's one of those things where the crowd kind of develops more once it's been released for a little while it has to marinate with them for a little bit exactly uh what do you think of this as the best picture do you agree with its nomination i agree with its nomination 100 um i have this as my second contender this is my number two so i definitely loved it and i think that it deserved all the praise that it got i mean you essentially have the core four all nominated for oscars so you have four stellar performances with just this massive twist. I think that you take a look back at Nightmare Alley where you have this juggernaut runtime and it's two and a half hours and the twist just didn't really deliver. And I feel like this one, Mm. two hours, still a pretty hefty runtime, but it pays off if you understand what anthrax is. Um, (laughs) But Okay, listen. (laughs) But I just felt more satisfaction, you know? And I definitely think that it came full circle. And I definitely think that the quotes in the beginning and the quotes at the end held the movie together and definitely offered that full circle moment for you combined with just the massive twist. And it's just a phenomenal film. It's my number two pick for this year. Wow. All right. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're in agreement on that. And I know Me we too. have a critic rating here on, from Rotten Tomatoes at 93, which is really high for critic ratings. And the audience was at a 79, so not as high. Uh, yeah, the IMDb no. gave it a 6.9. So the, the last two, the audience and the IMDb kind of surprised me. But this is on the lower end for the IMDb ratings out of Absolutely. all the movies that we've been discussing so far. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that... I think that's why it was so surprising to me, because it was one of my favorites and it, it got the lowest reviews. Yeah, that's really sad. I definitely would put this above almost every film that we've discussed so far. Yeah. What would your rating be out of 10? Maybe an eight just because it is a slow burn. Um, it is. I just think they did such a good job at the slow burn. And like I said at the top of the episode, I don't typically enjoy that structure. Yeah. If you catch me in a day where I have the patience for a slow burn, it would definitely be an 8.5. But if it's just one of those days where I'm just watching it, it would probably be an 8. But yeah, I'll have to revisit it again. I haven't watched it more than um, twice. I watched it originally and then I rewatched it for this podcast and the twist still kind of hit. I'll probably revisit it in a few years, see if it still has that fresh yeah. feel to it. How about you? I'd honestly probably give this a 9. I think... A lot of the way that I rate films is like how it, how and if it affects me once the credits roll. 
Because if a film sticks with me, it'll get a higher rating. And I think, like we talked about with Coda, that that one really affected me. And I was like, I felt emotionally invested. I felt invested in these characters. And then with this one, I also felt invested with the characters. But it left me with that sense of uneasiness. And I think to have that visceral reaction from a film is what really makes something worthwhile for me. Do you think that there are people out there that haven't understood the twist at the end and that did walk away just not really getting this movie absolutely and i think the twist because it was so subtle it's going to be more effective to some people than it would be if it was blatant and less effective to some people than it would be if it was blatant um so i think they definitely took a risk there but having now researched it and gone a little deeper into the text of the film i appreciate where it's coming from and i i completely agree with the decisions that they made in their filmmaking yeah the reason i asked you that is because i'm curious if people understood or kind of had it explained to them now would it impact their ratings do i think that it would maybe be rated higher on imdb yeah probably overall i definitely give this a vote because i'm always here for a female directed film (laughs) yeah i think i think we need more of that I agree. And I think that going into this movie, if you don't have any prior knowledge, you're definitely in for a slow burn with just such a payout. This is definitely one of those movies that I wish I could watch for the first time again. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. That being said, if you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at BTST podcast. And if you have any film suggestions, shoot us a DM or email us at BTST podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe if you enjoyed today's episode and join us Monday where we will be discussing King Richard. I'm Sean. And I'm Catherine. And this has been another episode of Been There, Seen That. Thanks for listening.